Yeah, well, I am a chair. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, thank you. I'll tell you, we are an incredibly blessed church to have, goodness, I'm going to get emotional already, to have the people we have that minister to us in music. Uh, they come, they're committed, they're very, very busy people, and they put in a lot of time every week just to minister to the Lord and to minister to you. So make sure that when you see them, you give them a pat on the back and tell them how awesome they are because they love you and they serve you because they love Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, so enough of that so I don't get all sad. We are um, starting, this is our first week of uh, a new series called Villains, Breaking Down the Bad Guy. So um, whenever I enter into the Word of God, whenever I'm reading the Word of God, um, whenever I'm listening to somebody minister to me the Word of God, I I always ask myself these questions, um, just where am I at in the middle of all of this? What do I look like? I use the word, like it says, as a mirror so that I can locate myself, so that I know, do I need to change any area in my life that I might be more like Jesus? Is there something that I need to address in my heart that's not right, that needs to be fixed in my attitudes, in my thinking, um, so that I can approach this world like Jesus did? Because we're children of God, and we are Christians, which means little Christs, right? So we ought to be acting like him. So I always try and look at the word like it's a mirror. And I just encourage you this morning, because the way I'm going to deliver this message is going to be a little bit different than Pastor Jody. Um, A lot of times he has points, but I'm going to take a different approach and literally walk you through a story and explain it to you so that you can see the mindsets and the attitudes of people that are involved in it. And, uh, And so it's going to give you a little bit different perspective. So um, I'm going to be talking about um, Naaman, um, and a lot of you may not know who Naaman is. He was the general of the Syrian armies when, uh, when Elisha was the prophet of God. So he, it's in 2 Kings chapter 5, so everybody can go ahead and turn there. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background here so that you kind of know what's going on with the nation at this time, okay? I'm going to get out my husband's really cool pointer, and we're going to put up a map, and I'm going to turn teacher on you for a second so that you guys can understand this. So everything that's in color there is what Joshua conquered when they went into the promised land, okay? So there's my little pointer. It's super skinny when you're so far away, but um, after the kingdom divided, after Solomon... It divided, and the only thing that was left was this big purple area and this area right here. Everything else, the enemies had taken back because Israel had forsaken God. Okay? So today, this right here, Aram, is Syria. Okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This little place right here. Oh, it's so shaky. I'm not nervous. I just have shakes this morning. This is Damascus. Okay? And there... Oh, my gosh. I can't point with this. Okay, this little... Okay, just pretend like it's the river. (laughs) That little river right there is the Albana River. We'll get to that later. And that river right there, the shaky little river right there, is the Farpar River, okay? And then, okay, so then then this little river (laughs) right here going down, that's the Jordan River. And this is, yes, this is Samaria. This was the, the uh, capital. I'm going to stop shaking. That was the capital of Israel. That's where the king abode, if you go King James on you. And that is also where uh, Elisha spent a lot of his time. So background, go ahead and keep that map up there for a second. Syria, or Aram on this map, 
um, was constantly at war with Israel, the northern kingdom. They fought for about 50 to 60 years consistently with each other at the time of this story, okay? And um, Syria was consistently defeating Israel, okay? And at times, Israel was attacking Judah, like brothers fight on with each other, and Judah would hire Syria to go into Israel to take pressure off of them, okay? So they were all messed up, okay? Uh, but the king of Syria, his name was Ben-Hadad, and that means son of Hadad, and Hadad Ramon, or Ramon, not like the noodle, but R-O-M-M-O-N, was the, the god of that land, okay? So Ben means son of. So that term meant son of Ramen, Ramen noodle. I'm going to call him the noodle king. Um, he was the son of that god, okay? And the people back then thought that he was literally god in the flesh, his son, okay? And then, um, uh, so Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria. Naaman was his first in command. He was his, his second to the king, basically, all right? And, and Ben-Hadad was a term like Mr. President or Pharaoh, okay? It wasn't his, like, his real name may have been Jerry, I don't know, but it, it was just a title, okay? So um, Elisha, you know Elijah and Elisha, right? Elijah, the way you can keep these two straight, J is before S. Elijah was first, Elisha was second, okay? Elijah served under Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was considered the most wicked king that, that Israel and Judah had ever experienced, and his son was Joram, who was now the king when Elisha was the prophet of God in Israel, okay? Elisha worked with Elijah. He, he knew who Ahab was, and he knew he was bad juju and all this messed up junk, okay? But he also knew that his son was messed up. So the, the kings of Israel, they were, they were wicked. They were evil. They would sacrifice their own people on the altars to serve their gods, okay? Um, and um, that's part of the reason why they lost their lands is because they forsook God. So that's a little bit of the background. So is everybody in 2 Kings chapter 5? Flip on your little devices or flip through your pages and get there. We're going to be reading a lot in the scripture to tell this story, but I think you're going to get, um, get a lot out of it. Um, let's pray though, before we do, because nothing is revealed to us except through the Holy Spirit, right? It doesn't matter how good or how bad the speaker is. If you want to learn something, the Holy Spirit is there to teach you, right? And I know I don't ever want to go into church just to go. I want to go to be changed. I want to become more like Jesus. So let's purpose in our hearts to hear from him, myself included, and to learn from him this morning. Yay. All right, let's pray. Father, um, You're so good to us, so faithfully good to us. And we are incredibly blessed to be able to be in your house this morning, to be under the word of God and to hear the word of God and to have the Holy Spirit speaking within our hearts to show us life, to show us the things that we need to see personally and to show us the things we need to see as a community, Father, as a church, Father, as the body of Christ. And I just pray that you would open up our eyes this morning that we would see things that we've not seen before. The things that are dim would become bright. The things that are unclear would come into focus. The things that are hidden, Father, would be revealed. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be open and tender to receive your word, to receive uh, correction, to receive understanding, to to receive blessings from you through your word, Father. So, Holy Spirit, we're listening to you, and we expect to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... 
Naaman was the second in command. He was the general. He was hand-to-hand combat expert, okay? He was in very close relationship with the king. Um, He won victories over Israel, so the king loved him because they were taking more and more ground from Israel. Um, And he would go in and raid Israel communities. The reason he was a villain is because he would go in, kill Israelis, take all of their goods, and take slaves back into his own land. And he would consistently absorb more and more territory as Israel would consistently retreat, okay? So he was consistently killing God's people. He was consistently stealing from them. He was consistently making slaves of them, all right? He got to this position probably because he started in military at a young age and advanced. Um, He was an honorable man to the king. He was a man of valor. He was a mighty man of valor. He was a patriot. You'd go to him and he'd say, okay, we're going to go and we'll die trying. And he would go in and he would fight for his king and he would fight for his God. So he was a military mind, but he was also a worshiper. He considered the king the son of God. So he served the king in the military, but he also served his God through military. Okay? His mindset was, um, I'm going to just serve, serve this land because the God over this land owns this land. And I'm going to worship the Lord through my, mil- my military pursuits and through honoring the king. And at the same time, he was hurting. He had leprosy. Okay? He wanted to be free of this leprosy. But it was an uncurable, incurable, uncurable, incurable, I think. Incurable disease. There was no way that he could have gotten healing from it at the time. Okay? Um, But he was so desperate that he was willing to listen to a slave to try and find freedom from it. And in his heart, he was, he kind of had a... what do you call it, a black and white, yin and, yin and yang kind of position in his heart. In his heart, he was looking at who I am. I'm second in command. I am over this nation's military. I'm this, I'm that. I've done this, I've done that. And at the same time, he was incredibly insecure because he always wondered, I believe, that if his reputation was always going to be tainted with leprosy. Yeah, he was a great commander, but he was a leper. Yeah, he was good at this, but he was a leper. Yeah, he had money, he had power, but he was a leper. He wanted to be free of that. He wanted to be known for who he was, and he wanted freedom from the leprosy just because it it was a painful disease as well, okay? So let's turn to um, verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And then in verse 2, it says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. There's two things to notice here. Um, In the word of God, when somebody is not mentioned by name, it's intentional. The point of them not giving the name of this slave was to show her insignificance, okay? But at the same time, she had a very forgiving heart because she was now a slave taken out of her community, and yet she served this master and said, I want him to be healed of leprosy, so I'm going to tell them about this prophet. That's pretty incredible, amen? So then it says in 
in verse 4, it says, And Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. He doesn't even say her name. <laughs> he like, has no respect, doesn't care. She's a slave. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Okay, so the king of Israel gets this, and he is a wicked king, (laughs) and he knows it. And he's thinking, what in the world am I going to do? This guy is trying to start another war with me. This king is trying to start another war with me. Look in verse 7. It says, And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. This is New King James, so I'm sorry if it sounds like these and thous and out of our, our, our verbiage. But I wanted this for a couple of reasons. So he's saying he's picking a fight with me, and he's freaking out, right? Because he knows I have no power. The God who heals, who I have forsaken and am serving another God, could do it, but I'm not on good terms with him. So he, it says in, um, in verse 8, it says, Uh, So that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. So the king's freaking out, and the way that they show how they freak out is they tear their clothes. Okay? All right? Yeah. A little different from us, right? We don't like, I lost my job. Yeah. It's a little different mindset. But it was to show mourning and desperation. And now their clothing showed their identity as well. So if, it sh- if the king tore his robes, he's telling everybody, I am broken and I am torn. Okay? So Elisha is a man of God, and he understands what God wants. And he understands that this is not a freak-out opportunity. This is a God opportunity. Right? So he's saying, send him to me. And I'll show him that there's a prophet in Israel. Now that to us sounds like, he's like, I'll show him there's a prophet, right? It's not that at all. See, I believe that Elisha believed that the only prophets were the prophets of God. That all other were just mere men claiming to be prophets. So when he said, show him that there's a prophet in Israel, he was saying, show him that the true God is in this place. Does that make sense? So it had nothing to do with Elijah and him being all that. It had to do, no, we're going to show him that God is in this place. So it, it says in verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious And went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. So we still don't get this because we're not from the east. And we're not from this ancient time frame. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what was happening in his mind. Why he freaked out about go 
get in the river. Because to us, I'd be like, that's all I got to do. You know, and I'd jump in and I'd go up and down and up and down however many times they told me to do it because I want to be clean. But that's because I have no concept of how they thought and how they approached life, okay? So number one, Naaman had some expectations, right? He is a foreign dignitary. He is second in command. So he's coming and he's bringing a lot of money, okay? We're talking 750 pounds of silver. We're talking 150 pounds of gold. That's about $2.5 million, okay? He's coming with horses and chariots and donkeys that are carrying all this. He's got an entourage with him going into this land because he's showing his authority. He's showing who he is. He has expectations to be treated like a king because he's being a representation of his king in that country. He's expecting, I'm going to go, I'm going to give them money, I'm going to get healed, and I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to continue on with my life, and I'm going to kill the rest of this nation. That's how he's approaching this, okay? He's taken a long trip on horse. It takes about two to three days to travel 200 miles from Damascus. Remember the map that was at the top all the way down to Samaria where where Elisha was. So for two or three days, if you're wanting to get healed and you believe that there's a man that could heal you, don't you think you might be rehearsing through your head? Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to give them the money. They're going to treat me good because I got all this money. And then when I get there, he's going to, like like he said, surely I said to myself, he's going to wave his hand over the area and I'll be healed. He's thinking this through. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. He's a military mind. He thinks in strategies. He thinks of every possible scenario of what could happen, what he would do to react to it if it doesn't turn out. So he's thinking through all of these different scenarios for two or three days. And then he gets there. And he's standing and it says, he comes to Elisha with his, with his horses and his chariots. And he comes to him with his money. He's approaching him with pride because he needs help. But he doesn't want to look like his stature is diminished. So I'm going to offer a whole bunch of money so it still looks like I'm good. That I still am a man of standing. I'm still a man of authority. Even though I have this weakness, I'm going to kind of cover it up. Does that make sense? So he's got some very clear mindsets of how he's going to approach him, okay? So his expectations are one way, and what he's experiencing are another, okay? And here's, a, uh, here's another thing. It says in verse 11, But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, okay? Get the little pride in there, like, I'm on my horse. You come out to me, slave. I've got all this money. You do what I tell you, Okay? And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So he, he's coming from this mindset, my God is superior. I'm coming to an inferior nation, an inferior king with an inferior God, with an inferior shaman slash witch doctor slash priest of this God. Okay. And he's, he's no formal greeting, no, for, no protocol that should have been held like Your majesty, we're so glad you have graced us with your presence. Surely follow me into my humble abode and I will heal you of your leprosy. Right? There's none of that. It's totally trashed and thrown out the window when Elisha sends a servant and doesn't even speak to him himself. Okay? So this servant of Elisha's, in Naaman's eyes, is a slave 
telling him what to do. Okay? And he's like, "Mm mm-mm. Okay? So that is just the fleshly standpoint of his mindset. Okay? That's just the, do you know who I am? Point of view. Okay? So now let's kind of get into the spiritual mindset of Naaman. People in the ancient times in the Middle East believed that there was gods over their lands. Every different land had a different god, and they varied in power, and they varied in ability, okay? The people, they were an agricultural society, so they depended upon the produce of the land and the quality of the land and the quality of their rivers is what determined how powerful their god was because they lived off the agriculture, If the land stinks, the God stinks. If there's no water coming through that's going to provide me with an abundant harvest, then this God can do nothing because they considered their gods to provide blessings to them through the rivers because the rivers watered the land and gave them harvest. Okay? And they believed that if I serve my God, that these offerings and sacrifices will go up to my God, my God will bless me through the rivers, and I will live off the land. So land and rivers were incredibly sacred to these people. It wasn't just like a river that, or a creek that we just hop and skip through and go fishing in. I mean, they considered these to be sacred. They considered them to be holy places, okay? So he was also um, furious <laughs> because in verse 12 it says, Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So the rivers he considered to serve were the ones from his home. His God was the God of the Farpar and the God of the Abana rivers. So when this slave, this servant comes and tells him, you need to go and dip in this river. They weren't just saying, go get wet in a dirty river. They were saying to him, You need to forsake your God, forsake the God of your fathers, forsake the God whom you daily lay your life down in your military pursuits, and forsake the God of your master. Okay? It's like a patriot, just from from a, a, a physical standpoint, like our secretary of defense. General, former Secretary of Defense, General Mattis being like, okay, um, I think I'm going to just leave America and I'm going to go and serve this other country now. You think that's going to happen? Can you see the, the wrench in the, in the system here? He's like, you want me to what? You want me to forsake everything that I know, my entire religion, my entire livelihood, all that I am, you want me to lay down and you want me to get in this God's river whom I consistently defeat? And he's thinking whom I consistently defeat, right? So he's, he's thinking spiritually as well. This is going against everything. So that's why he's in such a rage because he has to acknowledge that his God may not be able to do something that Israel's God can. He has to acknowledge that he's going to have to forsake what he knows and what is familiar to him. And what has brought him, he thinks, success by following in one act of obedience. It's like religious and national treason in his mind. Okay? In verse 13, it says, And his servants came near and spoke to him 
and said, my father. Wow. Can you see that term of endearment? My father. So they loved this guy. So this guy had to be a little bit of a good guy for his slaves to say, my father. If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? They're saying, listen, we know that you are a mighty man. And we know that what they're asking you to do is beneath you. But if you would kill a thousand armies to get your healing, why wouldn't you just dip in a river? Could you just try it? And so Naaman humbled himself. In verse 14, it says, So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. He was healed. It says in verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his aides. And he came and he stood before him. No, no chariots or horses are mentioned here. I believe this time he was off his high horse quite literally and was on his feet because he realized that the God of Israel had healed him and his God couldn't. And he had a complete heart change. He was humbled and he was fine with it. But he humbled himself first by being willing to be obedient. So it says, he and all of his aides, they came and they stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. So now he's not trying to buy his healing. He's already healed. He's just trying to honor God. Okay? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. This was a man that killed God's people. The people who God said, you are the apple of my eye. The ones who he said, I hold you close to my heart like a mother holds her children. And he consistently killed them and mistreated them. Yet God loved Naaman and he healed him. God loved the outsider. He loved the murderer. He loved the one who didn't love him, who couldn't care less about him. The one who didn't serve him. And he just wanted to bless him. Our God just wanted to bless Naaman. Because our God is just good. Verse 16. But he, Elijah that is, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. This is the grace. You can't buy things from God. And God doesn't want you to have to buy it. See, he bought it already through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And there's no amount of money that could buy what we can get from our God. And Elijah knew that. And he wanted Naaman to see just how good this God was. No, take your money with you. God doesn't want that. Verse 17, so Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Why the dirt? <laughs> because this was his God now. The God of Israel. Remember? They believed that the land and the water were sacred. They believed that the land was God's territory and God's blessing and place of blessing. And they believed that the water was. So he's saying, this land is where my God is, but I have to return to my master so let me take some sacred ground with me. Because when I go home, I want my God to go with me. 
And there he would place this mount and he would build an an altar and offer sacrifices and offerings to God, to the God of Israel. So he's saying, I will no more. That land where Syria is, is not sacred any longer. What dirt I have from Israel is what is sacred. That's where my God is. Okay. So. My question for you is that are we humbling ourselves before the Lord? Or are we approaching Him in pride? Are we approaching life in pride? Pride deceives us and it makes us think we're okay with the way we are, it keeps us in bondage. It fosters disobedience and it prevents blessings. Have you ever met somebody that's just really arrogant and they don't even have a clue that they're arrogant? They think everything's fine. They're like, what's everybody else's problem? My world is great. And everybody else is like, they have no clue. It's because they're in pride. Pride deceives you and makes you think where you're at is okay. And pride does not recognize God's authority. Naaman was at the prophet of God's house. And God directly spoke to Naaman through a man and said, if you go dip in the water, you'll be healed. And Naaman did not recognize it as God. He was hearing directly from God through a man. And he did not recognize it because he was in a place of pride. But once he humbled himself and became obedient to the word, he received the Lord. He received healing from the Lord. So humility reveals truth. It helps us to grow. It raises us up from our bondage. It empowers us with God's power. Humility empowers us with God's power. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. Right? He was endued with God's power while he was on this earth. It's the same thing for us. So, I just want us to ask ourselves some questions. Do we sometimes partially serve our God because we just want to get enough of him to get our blessings? These are questions I've asked myself a lot lately. So, There's no judgment with this. I know sometimes I just want to do what I want to do. But our God is good. And he deserves all of our obedience. He deserves us to serve him wholeheartedly. He gave up everything for us. Do we feel sometimes we deserve certain things? Because of who we are or what we have done for God. Maybe from another angle, do we feel like getting things from God requires more than our obedience? Like we've got to work for it. Naaman thought he had to work for it. Naaman thought he had to buy things from God. But all he needed to do was follow him. Do we feel sometimes like we've got to pay for grace? 
man, there have been times where I've messed up, and I'm like, oh, how do I make this up, God? There's no making up. That's what grace is for. Grace is just make things right. Move on in my power. Move on in my love. Move on in my ability. We're to submit to God because we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. When I was in college, the Lord just stuck that in front of me. And every time I wanted to disobey, the Holy Spirit would say, if you love me, you'll show me by obedience. And I didn't like it, honestly, because I wanted to be my own person. I wanted to do my own things. And it was little things like when I would sit down and want to watch TV and God would be like, come spend time with me. I'd be like, I, want to, I really want to watch this. I've been at school all day where I've learned about you. I've prayed for like two or three hours already today. I've studied scripture all day long. I would just like to just watch TV. And God's like, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. See, there's power in humility. The word of God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will lift you up. Lift you up out of what? Out of, out of your pride. You're, you might be deceived in an area you have no idea you're in pride about. The Lord just, man, he just hit me. Last week, I was in here praying, and, and he just, boom, I'm like, holy cow. What have I been thinking for years? Years, people. I didn't see it. And the Lord was just, bam, oh, God. What do I need to change? What do I need to change? What do I need to change? What do I need to change so that I can be empowered with you, empowered by you, to be a witness, to go out into this world, to shine like Jesus shined in this earth, to speak the words of God like Jesus spoke the words of God, to heal the sick like Jesus healed the sick, to raise the dead like Jesus raised to dead. Because it's not about us, it's about us Going and making disciples and preaching the gospel to those who are bound, to those who are in darkness, to those who are lost. Those are the ones that God loves too. He loves more than just what's in this room. He wants every seat in this room to be filled a thousand million times over. That's my father's heart. So God, what do I have to do? What do I need to change? That I can be endued with your power. That I might be like you. Because I truly have not found my life unless I've lost it to you. I have not found my life until I've taken up my cross to follow you. Worship team, if you'll come up front. So there may be an area in your life you might be trying to negotiate and bargain with God about. Well, God, I'll do this if you'll do this. Or how about if I do this instead? I've done that a lot. Just to be real with you, I've been there. I've done that. And sometimes I still do it, and I hate it. And the Lord is really just showing me how to humble myself and just be obedient. Just be a follower of Jesus. 
right? This, these are things that humility is not a one-time deal. It's every day, every moment. God, how can I humble myself to be more like you? What do I need to change to be more like Jesus? So some of you may be trying to negotiate with God. Maybe you're in pride in an area and you just don't want to do it because you don't want to do it. Maybe there's an area of, of pride or maybe there's an area of sin that's separating you from the life of God. You might feel like you're disconnected or like you're not hearing from God, just like Naaman didn't even recognize God was speaking to him. There may, there may, there may not, but there may be something that's in the way. Jesus, though, is the only cure for our pride. And he's the only cure for our sin. And he's the only way to life and to freedom. I'd like everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. The word of God says, by grace, we are saved through faith. We receive everything because of the grace of God, who gives liberally without reproach and expects nothing in return. And who does for us things that we cannot do ourselves. If you're born again... The Bible says in 1 John 1, 19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. If you're a believer, your next step right now is just to realign your heart with God. Just say, God, is there anything in me that I need to change, that I need to realign with you? Are there attitudes? Are there thinking patterns? Are there hurt feelings? Is there anything in me that's not right with you? Lord, show it to me. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me right now? If you're not born again, your next step is Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation maybe you have an area of pride or sin but you can't get rid of it and you try and you just can't seem to shake it you'll never totally get free without the help of jesus jesus is the answer to every problem every addiction every pain every hurt Every weakness we have, every promise we make to ourselves to keep ourselves free from the hurt of others, Jesus is the answer. Your next step is to ask him into your heart. I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Father, you are a good, good God. You are good to me. When I don't deserve it, When I'm disobedient, you extravagantly love me. I commit my heart to you this morning. I recommit my life to you this morning. I am not my own, but yours. Have your way in me. I will be a vessel unto honor and for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are now born again. Amen. Let's give him a clapping. It's the best decision you've ever made. It's the way to freedom. It's the way to hope. It's the way to life. It's the way to joy. It's the way to power. Not our own power, not our earthly power, but a godly power who can do far more above what we can. Amen. So if you made that decision, I want you to take the communication card out of the seat back in front of you and fill that out. And you can turn it in at Guest Central at the end of the service. And I encourage you, if you made that decision, to come up to the front and tell a prayer partner at the end of the service. It's good to share with people the decisions you've made for Christ. They want to be here to help you, to encourage you in your new walk, to encourage you in your next steps and help you get started. So I encourage you to do that. So I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit showed you all something this morning. I hope, I know it's kind of heavy. But, but sometimes the things of God are heavy. But they bring you freedom. And they actually remove the weights. And the sin that's entangling us. So that we can run our race with joy. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up. I'm going to get out of my weepiness. Into a place of joy. God is just good, isn't he?